Welcome to Navigating the Next Normal. I'm Mike Gordon, the CEO of Altus Group. I hope that you and your family are doing well and perhaps even finding a way to prosper in these challenging times. A crisis typically speeds up what was going to happen anyway. After the longest CRE expansion anyone can remember, the COVID-19 pandemic has pushed forward multiple disruptions to business as usual that have been coming for years. The crisis is exposing who was ready for change and who wasn't, especially when it comes to leveraging technology strategically. The winners and losers of the next cycle are being determined by how well companies are positioned to adapt today. In today's episode, Cinnamon McCauley, Managing Director of 111 Advisors, calls upon a prestigious group of panelists from across the multifamily sector. Their discussion touches on the impact of COVID-19 and what the asset class needs in order to push forward, adapt, and innovate. Beyond the requirements of social distancing and sanitization, they explore more complex challenges, diving into operations, technology, and the customer experience. Each guest shares some of the lessons learned and provides some tangible advice on embracing the evolution of technology within multifamily. It's great insight, and I hope you enjoy. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the next installment of the 111 Advisors podcast series entitled Navigating the Next Normal. I'm Cinnamon McCauley. Managing Director for 111 Advisors, and I'm joined by one of the most prestigious group of panelists in the multifamily sector. Cumulatively, these four leaders bring over a century of expertise and experience to our industry, leading some of the most innovative and cutting-edge management companies in the country. While introductions aren't necessary for any of them, I am going to take a moment to introduce them. First, Jennifer DeChokas is an Executive Managing Director of Property Management at Western Wealth Capital. She is responsible for the strategic oversight of the property management organization at the newly formed Western Wealth Communities to include operations, maintenance, marketing, training, revenue management, and human resources. She has served in numerous capacities at two of the nation's largest property management firms, Lincoln and Pinnacle. Focusing on digital marketing strategies, employee development, corporate communications, revenue enhancement, and client relations. She is a regular speaker at industry conferences such as NAA, NMHC, and sits on the Zillow Rental Advisory Board. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you for being here. Gustavo Sipurka brings over 30 years' experience in delivering technology-enabled solutions in the real estate management, conventional, student, military, commercial senior, and most importantly, affordable housing markets. Recently, Gustavo was Senior Vice President for Property Management at RealPage, overseeing the affordable and senior living markets, as well as document management solutions. Currently, he is advising startup companies, as well has started a pro bono initiative to enhance advocacy towards the U.S. existing housing crisis. Great to see you, Gustavo. Welcome. Stephanie Furman. She leads Innovation for Catalyst Housing Group. The company started the Catalyst Innovation Lab to focus on innovation that drives incremental affordability and efficiency while at the same time enhancing the resident experience. The company invests and advises prop tech companies that align with the Catalyst housing strategy to address attainable housing needs. Stephanie was previously the Managing Director, Global Innovations at Graystar, 
and an executive vice president for Riverstone Residential. Stephanie, it's always a pleasure to get to spend time with you. And last, but certainly not least, <laughs> Craig Manis, Managing Director of Product Management at Graystar. In this role, Craig oversees the product management and product development teams of the Global Asset Level Operating Platform, Gallup, the new global platform for Graystar. He also manages vendor relations with Entrada, as well as Airbnb. Prior to Graystar, Craig served as Senior Vice President of Product Management for RealPage, as well as the Vice President of Technology for Prometheus Real Estate Group in San Mateo, California, the largest privately held owner, developer, and operator in the Bay Area. Again, a warm welcome to all of you, and thank you in advance for taking time to join me for this important discussion today. So let's jump right in. I'm certain no one on this panel, nor anyone listening in this audience, would argue with me that 2020 has been a year unlike any in history, as our nation and even our entire world has dealt with the unprecedented challenges brought to us by COVID-19. Those of us in the multifamily world had to not only protect ourselves, but we had to adapt and innovate as we have also been tasked with protecting our residents our prospects, our associates, and others from this invisible assailant. And what's more interesting about the situation is, as an industry, I feel like multifamily has prided itself on being prepared for nearly every feasible crisis, from hurricanes to fires to criminal activity. We all know about the red binder, right? And how every crisis has a specific response and action plan. Fire, you know, we would go to page 15. Hurricane, maybe see page 30. But that all changed when COVID-19 came along, bringing brand new challenges and forcing us to rethink our existing processes, strategies, and protocols. And I'm talking about more than just social distancing, mask wearing, and sanitizing surfaces. Some of the biggest challenges for our industry brought by COVID were those related to technology, from virtual tours to leasing and financial processes to software integrations, third-party vendors, we have seen a massive paradigm shift, which some argue has actually been a good thing, accelerating our technology evolution to be on par with other industries. My panel today brings expertise across a spectrum of disciplines, but today I'd like to focus on four key areas, those being operations, technology, affordable housing, and the marketing customer experience. They will be sharing some lessons learned and best practices of how their organizations responded and adapted to the challenges of COVID, but more importantly, they will provide us some tangible advice on moving beyond the mask and embracing the changes to the technology within multifamily. So let's begin with a general question to all of you. Within your organization, what challenges arose that you feel COVID-19 either caused or revealed. And Jennifer, let's start with you. Sure. Thanks, Cinnamon. So I had a very unique situation at Western Wealth Communities where we were actually starting up our brand new management company in the middle of COVID. So we not only had the challenge of you know deciding what our tech stack was going to look like, setting up our policy and procedure, getting everything in place, but then we also had to layer COVID-19 on top of that. And so it certainly was a stressful situation um, and also something that was very challenging. So prior to that, with the launch of Western Wealth Communities, Western Wealth Capital owned the buildings previously, and they were utilizing various management companies 
to manage those assets. So we were bringing those properties in-house. So I would say a few of our partners were not as focused on the paperless office as we were moving forward when we were starting this brand new company. Uh, We also had several of our partners that completely shut down our leasing offices, and we were able to change course on that. And I'll talk about that in a little bit about what we did to accomplish that and keep that face-to-face interaction. Great. Thank you. Uh, Craig. Thanks, Senator. So in my current role, uh, the biggest thing that COVID caused for us is because we were hyper-focused on international markets and and building out new systems on our international playing field was it stopped our travel. and. It inhibited us from being able to be face-to-face with the country teams and, and being able to work through this. Um, so I think it, it slowed down some of the forward progress for us to build out our, our systems. But on the you know operational, you talked about that red binder uh, technology-wise, you know, everybody focused on disaster recovery or the, the failure of technology. And then when do we recover after the failure of the technology? However, you know, with COVID, it's actually technology that's enabling us to respond to the disaster of uh, COVID itself. And so I do think that uh, the pushing of this industry into that realm of automated payments, uh, online leasing, you and I've had that age-old discussion for years and years and years about online leasing, and and it pushed the adoption of these technologies, which were there for the, you know, absorption from these companies. Uh, but a lot of them, I think, you know, were just set in the ways of how we have done business for decades and, and didn't realize that there was a benefit to doing something like that online, although mitigating risk uh, to be able to push forward with some of those technologies and, and being able to do things contactless and, and without the interactions that they thought they always had to have. Yes, yes. Thank you. Gustavo. Then from the operational side, there's two, two specific areas. Uh, one is the huge dependency on technology uh, that we are experiencing in every industry in the affordable housing, as simple as uh, children not being able to go to school and having to use the internet on their own, on their own apartment and units. Uh, the shelter in place, uh, it has created a huge dependency on that end. Uh, of course, and we'll talk later about the importance of communication as we, we couldn't have stuff on site. But the biggest one, I think, is a social piece. Our brown and um, black communities have suffered three times more the cases of COVID-19 than the white population. And that's a typical example how the housing crisis exacerbates our health care crisis. Uh, in a lot of our multifamily and family properties, we have a lot of, a lot of uh, households were very large. And that really created a massive, massive, you know, number of cases in comparison to other, to other communities. And, um, and it's all on our management company, site managers and staff to deal with that on top of um, the potential, you know, human challenges we're facing. Those are two of the most uh, critical pieces uh, as it relates to affordable. And in senior, by the way, communication, you know, assisted living being closed. And everything that happened there uh, has been also pretty, pretty challenging for all the operators as well. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Stephanie? Just to take a little bit on what Gustavo said, I think there, as we look at the difference between COVID-19 and anything else, we're, we're really dealing with different engagement model with people. And so as we look forward to trying to create innovative new ways to engage with our residents, um, we've found that 
using two different management companies, we're dealing with a number of different policies and procedures, and they aren't necessarily able to adapt as quick as we need to in in this environment. Um, I would say similarly, you know, the integrations, as Craig well knows, becomes difficult in this type of environment when you're trying to utilize new technology or emerging technology that we think can drastically change the resident experience long term. We haven't been able to move as fast as we want um, in creating those integrations and those workflows to streamline that experience. Doesn't mean that we haven't changed significantly over the last nine months. It's just we'd rather move at a faster pace than we're, we're able to do so even today. Thank you. Well, that kind of leads me into my next question that's kind of a little bit twofold. And it's thinking about that resident experience and that prospect experience. How has that changed for each one of you at your company, starting with the prospect experience? And I would like to hear just on all levels from a online leasing to a virtual tour so you can expand upon that. But how that looks from a prospect engagement perspective after and during COVID and then, you know, your resident piece as well. Uh, Jennifer, we'll go ahead and, and start back with you. Sure. So as it relates to the prospect experience, I mentioned in the brief intro about how we took some actions where some of our management companies had been shutting down the offices completely and only doing communication over the phone or maybe via FaceTime or something like that. And so when we took over management of our first phase of properties and the other phases um, since then, we've installed plexiglass walls. So when you enter our leasing office, when you would go into a lobby, we've now installed walls that have plexiglass that has a small cutout for a piece of paper or a payment to be passed through. And that really, I think, has been a game changer for us and a differentiator in our market. We haven't seen anybody else do that. So we still have that face-to-face interaction with the prospect as well as with the residents. But we also have those safety measures in place for our employees' benefit, as well as the prospect and the resident. So that's something that I really think is unique to our approach. And as we've taken on any new asset, within five days, we have the plexiglass wall installed. And I don't necessarily see that going away anytime soon. So we've done all the other things with, you know, the signage and the sanitation stations and and things like that and communicating with the prospects and residents. But that's been that first point of interaction. So if, in fact, somebody hasn't come into the leasing office, if they've landed on the website, uh, we have partnered with our lead management software and we have the chatbots in place that is fully integrated with our self-guided tour process. So somebody's able to schedule that tour, go through the interface that we have with our self-guided platform, and then go ahead and come to the property and visit. And something that we've had to put in place and something I didn't mention earlier is we've really had to look at resources for cleaning and sanitization. And that's been a game changer, I think, for all of us is, you know, at at one point we were only doing emergency maintenance, uh, but we still had as we were touring to make sure that we were going into those model homes or those vacant apartments and make sure that they were being sanitized in between the self-guided tours because the safety precaution is only there if you're actually sanitizing in between. And I think that's something where sometimes people fall short and they don't think about that process. So again, we have the self-guided tour option. We also have a partner where we're able to do those virtual videos and send them out uh, to be able to have multifaceted ways to reach our customers. And I think we've been extremely successful where our leasing numbers have actually been 
uh, very steady, where maybe we haven't quite as much traffic in the past year over year, if you look at the properties under management, but we found that the intent is extremely high. So the conversions are actually higher than where they were prior to COVID. Wow, that's some some great stuff. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Craig, what about you from the prospect and, and resident experiences? Yes, you know, Great Start did uh, early on it, it start embracing the virtual tours. It, it was something of a strategy from over a year ago. Uh, but when COVID hit, it really became a priority to ensure that the virtual tours were done as well as the self-guided tours and the embrace of that technology. And then moving forward of looking at the online leasing process in itself and understanding why are we collecting all this information? What are we really doing with this information and making this process harder than it really needs to be uh, when there's set amounts of data collections that you need to make this process and then move forward. Um, so it's simplifying the process for the prospects, uh, you know, coming into the, the online leasing was, was a big strategy. My ex-boss was actually the one that pushed me to do so um, and, and work through that. You know, Stephanie was very instrumental in saying, hey, let, let's, let's reduce the amount of collection and pr- data that we're gathering because we're not using it or you know especially in this day and age it was more about you know finding that rental for the person versus collecting all this information and and dropping it into a bucket for marketing to sometime use and so i i do think simplification and the adoption of the technology like i said it was it's not when is technology failing how to you know come back from it it's how is this technology enabling us but it doesn't remove the need for that human contact. Uh, you know, even though people are doing virtual tours and people are doing the self-guided, I think the contact points for the site teams is just as much or more uh, for follow-up. And you know, we always talked about this. You know, I remember at Prometheus when we said if you did one extra follow-up, you have a twenty percent chance to you know close that deal just by one additional follow-up. And so I think follow-up and making that human connection um, is just as important, uh, but it's a different mechanism. Instead of having that face-to-face direct contact, you're doing it in different mediums uh, for the site teams to do that direct contact with them. But you know, I, I would say that the adoption of technology simplification and the ease of use for a prospect was a main focus early on. Great. I know that you and I, and you know, we've we've spoken about this before. But one thing I wanted to bring back up to you, Craig, was that that we kicked off previously was the packages, right? And the package handling. Yeah. Can you, you know, speak to that a little bit and like how it has that changed for you guys, and you know, just to add on to the kind of that resident engagement piece. Yeah, you know, I, I think there's the different strategies of using package locker systems, but the site team always, I think, ended up with overflow, right? And we still ended up having to build package, you know, rooms or whatever. And the site teams were having to manage the packages and, and taking that time. And then now with COVID, now you somebody has to come to the office to pick up the packages. Um, so there's strategies of, of offloading the entire package management from the sites where it's done by a third party, where the address for the residents are offsite, they go to a package handling service, and then they're the ones contacting the resident of, give us a window when you're going to be in your unit, and they'll come and deliver your package directly to the resident. Um, And I think that's a huge offload of, of one, just manual processes that have been in, you know, property management forever, you know, and there were some companies that 
flat out refused to take packages uh, into the leasing office. But as a service, most of us still kept taking those bigger packages and everything else. And I think with COVID, the package percentage exponentially went through the roof as well as deliverables of groceries and everything else. Right. Um, So I think it it was a, a great strategy to think through of offloading that package management to a third party so that they're handling it holistically across the board. Yes, I agree. I agree. Um, Jennifer, anything specific on package handling for, for Western Wealth? Sure. So same as Craig was saying, we've really pushed where all of our properties have package lockers. We're not accepting packages in the office. Again, trying to minimize those touch points, the, the actual contact that's taking place. Even though we do have those plexiglass walls, we don't want to have that contact from package to residence. So we have completely set that up, make sure that we have the integration so the properties are receiving proper notifications and then really pushing the providers if there's no more room in the package lockers to deliver directly to the doors. Great. It's definitely, uh, you know, I think we were going in that direction of, of package handling or outsourcing or package lockers, but it's, I, I do agree. I think that has propelled everyone to to have to actually address that if they if they were not already. Just another way technology has definitely helped. Gustavo, uh, what about you on, from an affordable lens with prospect and, uh, you know, residents, recertifications, you know, all of those things? After three years of trying to get the government to do something that was right, it took, it took a pandemic. And in two months, we finally are able now to use and execute documents using e signature. And that's certainly a game changer across everything, right? From now we have the ability to execute a lease or a recertification online, and move them in, be able to do intake of wait list and have them sign affidavits or addendums electronically as well. That's fantastic. It's something that will stay, right? And we're very excited for that. And the same goes with all the recertifications. As you know, in affordable housing, uh, depending on the type of subsidy uh, at the property, you may need to recertify once a year at least if you lose a job. Right? Or you have a new job or you have an income change or a household change, you need to certify. Be able to do it online and be able to execute online, it's a big deal. Now, that sounds great, right? But at the end of the day, it's all about adoption. Doesn't, it doesn't matter how much technology we have or how, you know, how we can use it if we don't get uh, the residents or the applicants and the prospect to adopt and use it, uh, basically, uh, there's no uplift, right, on, on what we're trying to do. And that's going to take longer. And on the affordable housing, we are certainly our our residents and prospects and applicants who are not used to do that. Uh, then we believe it's going to take longer to do that. Uh, we have having some major issues um, with recertifications. For example, um, I always said if you are in a Section 8 property and you use a job, you're okay because the government pays the rent. Not really, unless you recertify and someone tells you that you lost a job. And what's happening a lot is the residents, because of all these discussions about non-evictions or eviction moratoriums, uh, they decide they don't need to recertify and they don't need to pay rent. Crazy, right? And if you don't have those documents in place, what's going to happen is you will probably terminate the subsidy. They will be responsible for the full rent, and it's going to be even worse. Then, once again kind of is a very, very fine line between having the technology, adopting, executing, and what the end results are. And that's some of the major um, areas that we're having challenges in affordable. The other slight piece, since packages 
uh, are not as relevant as on a conventional property or student property, uh, payments is a big deal. Over 50%, in some cases, 60 to 65% of the payments are money orders. Our affordable uh, custom residents are underbanked. They don't have checking accounts. They don't have credit cards. We're seeing a huge uplift in the entire multifamily on ACH and credit cards. But in the affordable housing, you need to have a money order. And a money order, you need to buy it somewhere or you need to get an e-money order. Then um, for us to be able to get a, a, a large adoption of electronic payments, we need to find a way to help our residents to start creating more banking relationships and trying to get out of the e-money order or money order into something else. And that's why lockboxes come to play. Right. Because it's an option to be able to put something there. Those are the major areas where I'm seeing a major shift uh, because of COVID. The e-signature is a game changer, for sure. And I hope that we'll be able to introduce new options to the to the applicants, like uh, be able to self-certified or pre-qualified, uh, screening on demand, etc. But that's going to take a few years to, once again, be able to reach the adoption we're looking for. Right. Isn't it interesting to me how we got, we all, I remember this, you know, we got rid of all the drop boxes and all the lock boxes. And now for the affordable, it's like you were suggesting, you know, that is, that is something that would be helpful since they are primarily money order uh, users. So it's interesting how, how that piece has kind of reverted backwards, if you will. Stephanie, uh, what about you on the prospect and resident engagement pieces? A number of things. And a lot of it's been mentioned, but maybe taking it from a little bit different perspective. So Gustavo was talking about the underbanked in our country. I saw a statistic this morning that about 6% of the U.S. population does not have access to a bank account. And so I think that's really important in, in this type of environment. We're taking a, a different approach where we've really tried to push to 100% um, automatic payments. And we see a difference between how much the management company pushes that is to the success of of that campaign. Um, the other things that we're seeing is with engagement of the residents, it really depends on how nimble you have to be to adopt to different county ordinances. So we're seeing different ordinances vary by county and we're having to in, uh, change rapidly and change our engagement strategy with both our prospects and, and residents based on those changes. Um, the other areas that were touched on were package lockers. One interesting thing that we're seeing is we have within our garden communities, we're now seeing the packet, the carriers deliver directly to the unit. And so we know that we're going to have to expand the number of package lockers, but we're really trying to solve for what happens if they stop delivering to the unit? Or is that going to be a permanent change in their model because they're trying to solve to leakage? Um, the other thing that we're really trying to see, and Jennifer can probably speak to this for days, you know, you take markets like San Francisco or New York where rents have dropped 15 to 20 percent. You, you're really trying to get innovative on your marketing, your spend, your total spend, and where you can create efficiency and spend and return that value back to the residents. From the marketing perspective, attribution, um, full journey attribution and dynamic attribution is probably one of the most important things that we have to have in order to cater and personalize our experience, both to our prospects 
as well as to our residents on renewal. So I would say those are um, some of the areas that we're adapting to as it relates to prospect and resident experience. And it's changing. It's changing almost weekly, depending on uh, the COVID ordinances. Right. One thing I, I, I think we, we didn't really capture too much in this on the resident experience side, I think uh, Jennifer may have mentioned it slightly, but what about on the, the service request and those, you know, um, how did you guys handle those initially? And then kind of how did that evolve with, you know, no contact? Because I actually heard some people refusing to even go to the unit for a while if they requested service. So how, if, if uh, anybody wants, can jump in, but how have you guys handled that from a service perspective? Sure, I'd be happy to, to kick that one off. So we did at the very beginning, we suspended service and we're only doing emergency maintenance calls and then quickly started to realize that that probably wasn't the best customer service approach to how to handle somebody's home, especially because people were home now 24-7 and were dependent on that space. So we quickly met as a team, refined our policies, and started scheduling appointments to make those uh, service requests being taken care of. And then we asked the critical questions, you know, that you have to, to basically answer. Are you feeling sick? Have you traveled? Have you traveled internationally? Those types of things. And depending on the responses, we were then able to schedule that appointment. Uh, we did at one of our properties have a significant amount of pent-up preventative maintenance that had not been done. So it took us quite a while. It probably took us over a month. And we had to pull resources from other properties to go to that community and really get everything up to speed and back on track. So I think it's important that the teams know that even though you're in a pandemic, you still need to be providing preventative maintenance. You need to be doing the basics of blocking and tackling at the property, walking the property daily, um, and keeping up with those service requests. And then just knowing what those boundaries are. We did ask when we made those appointments that they could either, they had to remove themselves from the apartment or they had to be in a room that was, you know, on the opposite side of where we were performing the work. And then we made sure to provide all of the appropriate PPE for our employees and make sure they had the training to know when they were going in, what they needed to wear, when it needed to be changed out, and also providing that to the resident if they felt more comfortable when we were entering their home. So again, I think there was a knee-jerk reaction in the industry to kind of halt a lot of those services. But we, as a young company and a small company, we were able to be nimble, make decisions quickly, and really think about what do we want our reputation in the market to be with residents, and what should that customer service experience look like? And you know, we changed course, I think, quite a bit earlier, and we maybe opened some amenities, maybe even a little bit earlier than some of our competitors but we put the precautions in place to make sure that we could do that safely for our residents and our employees. Great. Thank you. Stephanie, I think you wanted to jump in there and then we'll, we'll move on as our time is, is quickly dwindling. Yeah. So I, I would say I'll focus on what we're doing long-term um, as a long-term change versus some of the industry dynamics that Jennifer commented on. So from a long-term perspective, we're undergoing some major renovations. And we're trying to get entirely to remote and um, predictive maintenance and getting diagnostics off of some of the devices through our renovations. So our renovations are moving entirely in that direction. 
so that we can become less dependent on some of the traditional business practices um, that have created customer satisfaction issues during COVID. Great. So that's uh, definitely uh, leveraging that technology then for sure. That's, that's great to hear. So I want to move on. And, and one thing that I really wanted to hear about, because, you know, I can say from my experience personally, there were so many mixed messages, if you will, coming from every direction, you know, wear the mask, don't wear the mask, you know, social distance, you know, shelter in place. And then the mandates, you know, state to state were different. You know, this state was releasing people, this state was still shelter in place. So when I think about that, even, you know, just me internally and all the angst that gave me of trying to figure out, you know, what, what am I supposed to do and where and when and how to behave? How have your policies and procedures and kind of those uh, day-to-day things and protocols, how has that been impacted by all those mixed messages? And where did you find that sweet spot, if you will, between all of that, between your owners and between, you know, what their requirements and maybe requests were? So if you could, each one of you just kind of talk a little bit about that and kind of how that impacted you and how you guys were, were able to, to navigate through that. Craig, you want to jump in first? Sure. Yeah. You know, uh, right off the bat, Graystar had comprised a multi-group task force uh, to start the messaging correctly. You know, exactly what you're saying, the confusion that was happening across the board of what to do, what not to do, should we be wearing PPE, everything else. Uh, so there was a multi-group, you know, marketing operations, customer experience, executives, uh, sending out the communications on that task force on a weekly basis uh, to start directing the communication internally to all the Graystar employees. On our previous call, I you know talked about one of the things that I, I actually just love that Bob Faith has done is what he's calling as Bob TV, and it was directed about the response of COVID. Um, however, he's taken that a step further on some of the communications of that he's doing on a monthly basis now, um, because I think it centralizes some of the communications for us, but it also provides a very personal touch uh, to that communication of having the leader of your company on a video, you know, on a live call with everybody, you know, in his house, in his trailer. He had uh, some personal uh, tragedies. Uh, throughout this time, and yet he still took the time out to communicate to the Great Star team and, and talk through so that there was clarity around how we were responding and why we should do it. Um, you know, and going back to that, the maintenance conversation, it was centered around how do you provide and ensure that the employees of your company feel safe and, and making sure before you need to have the customer service, but you can't have the customer service if your employees don't feel safe at all. And so it was starting ground zero of like, how do we make sure that the employees feel safe? They, you know, Jennifer, you talked about making sure that they had the appropriate PPE and everything else. Um, and I think Graystar has worked through a lot of those hurdles uh, with their centralized communications. That's great. That is, that's pretty powerful. Um, you know, when you're delivering that message and it's, it's unified, right? One version of the truth and of the direction. And, and that's always, that's always a good thing. Gustavo? Again, I, I agree that sometimes we forget about our teams at the sites and be able to have real-time uh, support and communication. Um, depending where the asset is, it looked like a completely different story. I remember talking to uh, former customers in New York City 
during the March, April, May and having to do with fatalities at the resident level and also trying to protect the staff who had to deal with ambulances, morgues, uh, hospitals. It was, it was like war out there, right? But having that communication, uh, and needs to be real time, be able to communicate with the staff, to be able to communicate with the residents, right? And in affordable, a lot is driven by state agencies. Where can you find some rent help funds? Some states had specific uh, funds to help the residents pay the rent. Are there changes? Uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the regulations come down from the state of HUD. And then in many cases, the compliance departments of the companies taking an additional task to be able to communicate all that information to the team and the team to the residents as well. And it, it's, it's, been, it's been a major, major um, challenge for the teams. And we can talk about talent acquisition and retention, which is probably one of the biggest challenges uh, approaching to all of us, especially in affordable housing. I'm very, very concerned. Um, uh, the affordable housing staff tend to be on the elderly side you know, 40, 50, 60s, uh, I'm, I'm concerned that people are not going to come back and they're going to retire. Uh, we're already seeing a big push on that. And I think it's going to create a, even a more critical need for new staff and retention of staff into 2021, 2022. Yes. Stephanie, your thoughts? I would say, you know, we're really trying to approach it from a couple of different perspectives. One is giving people something to connect to. And because we have to, you know, Balance a fine line between the management company's responsibility and our responsibility as the administrator of the properties. Um, we're really focused on how do we communicate culture and how we want to do things differently um, in order to create an impact not only with the team members and the residents. Um, so we're trying to use some, we're focusing a lot on what defines our culture what we're trying to do differently at the properties and we're bringing in new tools from outside the industry in order to create those platforms in partnership. Um, ultimately, I think it translates way beyond COVID-19 and you start to look at a number of the other, I would say, compelling megatrends within that are impacting our people and, and our country. And I think that we're trying to tackle those as well, um, including diversity, inclusion, and a number of other other things, and, and not only just from um, an education standpoint, but how we're actually partnering with our local communities. That is great. Jennifer? Sure. So as it relates to policy and procedure, we had it a lot easier than Craig had it at Graystar. So we're just in one market in Arizona and could be a, a little more nimble and didn't have to get conflicting information. However, we were on short notice oftentimes where the governor would do a press conference and said fitness centers had to be closed within two hours. So then everybody has to quickly get to action, get the appropriate signage, get the appropriate communication out. And it's just having that team culture where everybody understands the importance and we delegate out who does what. Uh, we were fortunate enough to, as a young company, we had to create our own policy and procedure. So we have a partner that we were able to purchase generic manuals from. And that partner actually created an entire COVID manual that we were then able to go in and customize and put towards our own policy and procedure, our communication, and attach those forms to it. So I, I would say that that was really a lifesaver for a new startup company to be able to have the groundwork in place and then just build off of that. And then similar to what Craig said, we started with our company back at COVID doing weekly 
uh, Zoom calls with all of the properties. So we ask that the maintenance team and the office team actually comes into the office for about 20 minutes on Friday afternoons. And I kick off the call and then have all of my corporate support team members share information. So we give updates, but then we also really utilize that time to give shout out and really portray the positive because there has been so much negativity going on at the properties where tensions are really high with our residents because they're home all the time. And they're seeing a lot of negative on the site that we want to counteract that and let them know that we see all of the great things that are happening at the communities and recognize them for that. Well, as I said, our time is kind of dwindling. So I have one last question for this esteemed panel. And it's, what additional advice do you have for those that are listening out there that you would like to share about the impacts of COVID on the multifamily technology landscape? And kind of what do you see? Well, you know, kind of get your crystal ball, if you will. What do you see as kind of the next normal? Stephanie, you want to kick us off? I would say the next normal is already here, but most people aren't ready for it. So if we start to look at building automation, it's the area I think you will see the biggest impact over the next five years. And I would guess about 1% of our buildings are truly ready for that level of automation. So my advice would be to look at what it's going to take to step into a strategy. You don't have to take it all overnight, um, but it's coming and it's coming quickly. And I, I don't think we'll ever revert back to anything less. Agreed. Great advice. Craig, what about you? Sure. I, I would say question everything. Uh, the industry norms uh, that we're so tied to, like we are open seven days a week because Saturdays and Sundays were our highest leasing that realizing that if you close the office and just do self-guided tours, you actually can get more in and you have a higher leasing velocity. And, you know, if you would have said that to somebody a year ago of like, maybe you should close your office on Sunday and just let a prospect to tour by themselves, not a whole lot of companies would have bought off on that concept. Right. Um, but I do think just questioning what you have done as a company um, and, and as an industry as well, that everything's on the table and it might be surprising by changing one little thing uh, that you can pick up your leasing velocity. Great. Gustavo? I don't want to be the pessimistic one, but uh, I'm very concerned about... You're a realist, Gustavo, a realist. Uh, yeah. Yes. I, I am very concerned about the closing the housing gap into the next years. Uh, we're going to have some major issues with funding. Uh, we need to start working a way to develop and, and produce housing differently. And I think the good news is that with all this adoption of all these new technologies, now we're going to have real data to be able to pinpoint how many one bedrooms do we need to actually build in Phoenix, Arizona? Or was the was the average wait list in Charlotte? Maybe if you move to Raleigh, you can move it into a two bedroom six months earlier. And we need to be able to inform and produce good data for Congress to allow us to smarter create funding to build uh, and produce more housing. I'm very concerned deficits going forward. We're having a hard time making our budget today and worry about what's going to happen in years to come. And this housing crisis is going to get worse and worse. Great advice. It's like you said, it's not the optimistic side, but I, I think there's an opportunity, though. There's an yes. opportunity of the data to be able to be smarter. That's the idea, to be smarter and to be able to do what we need to do with the resources we have. 
Yep. Yes, use that technology. Absolutely. Stephanie, I'm, I'm sorry, not Stephanie, Miss Jennifer, my apologies. Sure. So I think it's really important that everybody needs to always try and anticipate change. And I think this became extremely critical as COVID unrolled. I mean, we can't get comfortable in the way that we've always done things in the past. I think people have kind of rested on their laurels and just gotten comfortable. The markets have been really strong. Leasing activity had been strong. We were seeing rental increases that were the word that I hate hearing is unprecedented throughout this whole COVID uh, situation. But one thing I think that one word that's really stuck with me throughout COVID-19 has been the pivot. So understanding how to pivot, how to change things, how to anticipate change. And one perfect example that I'll wrap it up with is our due diligence process. So we actually have been an active buyer uh, throughout COVID And we have investors that are in Canada, for instance, our parent company is based in Canada, and they've been unable to travel to actually see the properties. So we've had to pivot and work with our DD provider, start doing virtual DDs where we can do walkthroughs of the entire community, of the apartments, of the amenity spaces, so they can get a comfort level of what they're purchasing without actually being there in person. So I think we're going to see in all aspects of our business that we need to do the pivot and we need to see how we can really adapt to the circumstances that we're in. Think outside the box. Absolutely. As I'm wrapping up here, there's one thing that I know for sure. I would definitely want to weather the next pandemic or next normal with uh, with any of your assets and any of your properties and, and uh, with your organizations for sure. I appreciate you guys always being the champions for thinking outside the box and challenging us all and and trying to um, expose those flaws that we have. And, and then as as Jennifer shared, pivot, right? And and be willing to pivot, be be excited to pivot and be, you know, um, just just jumping in, rolling up your sleeves and taking on the challenge. So I want to take, a, again, take a moment to thank each one of you. I know your time is very, very valuable. Um, it has been the delight of my week to get to spend this 45 minutes to an hour with all of you. I uh, treasure your friendship and uh, your contribution to, to the multifamily industry. Thank you guys so much. And uh, I look forward to seeing you uh, on another call at some point. Thanks, Cinnamon. Thank you. Thank you. Go affordable. Yes, go affordable. (laughs) We should have ended with that, right? (laughs) Yep, always.